Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. And there is none like you. And our hearts are filled with praise and adoration, which proceeds then from our heart through our mouths, so that the world might know how great you really are. God, turn our minds now to the magnificence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bring us, God, to Him that we might see Him and that we might taste of Him and therefore we might know Him as our King, as our Prophet, as our Priest. Jesus Christ, You are all in all. And it is in Your great name we pray and dedicate ourselves in these moments to You and Your Word, hopeful and confident that You will speak to us. Amen. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. It's the second of three messages here at the Christmas season, a season that is set apart in our culture, in our society, to celebrate the birth of Christ. And this is the second message. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. I know you've just settled in. I'm glad Dave let you sit down during that last song, which is beautiful and very worshipful. But I want you to stand as we read together. God's Word. Let's all stand in reverence to His Word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on I All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. You may be seated. Those are the words of Luke in Luke 1, 46 through 56, and he is recording the response of Mary to the news and the confirmation of the news that she was going to bear the Son of God, and His name would be Jesus Christ. What makes this song so amazing is that from a human standpoint, there's no reason that she should be singing. I mean, here's a girl, probably somewhere in the vicinity of 15 years of age, not married, 
and pregnant. That's not normally a cause for great celebration. That's not normally a time at which people begin to burst out in joyful singing. And yet, recorded for us is her response. This young girl, not only is young, not only unwed, but she knows that in her culture at least, if not in ours any longer, she would be ridiculed. Thought of as an outcast, possibly. She didn't know what lay ahead. And yet her heart overflows with joy. Not only does she face the potential of being an outcast, she's already poor. She's already humble. She's already lowly. The region which she lived in was not a region known for its wealth. It was a region of poor farmers, carpenters, tradesmen. And so a poor young girl pregnant out of wedlock in a society that would have rejected her now has to take on the task of mothering a child. That's not just any child, but God in the flesh. And her heart, her soul, her spirit overflows with a song to God as her Savior. Let's look at this passage together. Let's see that there, I see here three main divisions in the song. Three verses, we might say. And let's look at them and let's apply them into our life. Because the question is not whether Mary will rejoice at the thought of Jesus Christ. The question is, will you rejoice? Will I rejoice at the thought of who Jesus Christ is? That's the question before you and I. That's so evident in the life of Mary. But before we get into those major points, I do want to connect the messages. Uh, that The one I preached two weeks ago, and prior to Anthony coming, and, and I know it's, it's not good technique to stop, but I, I, I want to say, first of all, how thankful I am for Anthony Cook and how thankful I am for a man of God who would come to a place and preach unknown by most people out of his normal zone of comfort, uh, breaking really all rituals and rules. I mean, black guys aren't supposed to come preach as guests in white churches in our town, at least, unfortunately. And yet I want to thank him and, and praise God for him because all of the reports have been uh, an overwhelming response that this man is filled with the Spirit of God. And so he is our brother, and we're thankful for him and thankful for his church where I was treated so kindly as I delivered God's Word, is a testimony to the goodness of Christ. And that's why I I meant to do it before I got started, and and I don't want to pass it by the opportunity to thank God for him and his ministry. And and so uh, before Anthony came, I preached the first of these three sermons, and I kind of want to connect them, one, because we had a week off, from this series, and two, because I skipped a, a part of the passage, okay? And I know that's not normal around here, and you might think there's something in the passage that I'm scared of, but I'm not scared of anything that came between the two passages I'm preaching on. We just have three weeks on the calendar. When I started this, I need to get to Jesus being born next week. And so i kind of going to grab up these verses and put them in the intro, okay? 
before we, this is before we get to, I want to kind of set the context for you. And I think the verses which I skip really do set context. They do a lot of other things. Look here. First, in the setting context, after Mary received the news about her baby that she would give birth to, she was given a sign to confirm the fact that this is a work of God which is in progress. Remember, she says, how will God do these things which he has said to me? She asked a, a good question. By the way, it's the same question Zechariah asks in the temple, and he's judged for it. Now, hold on to that thought. We're going to get there. But she asked the question, and the angel responded, didn't he? And if you look at the, his answers in verses 35 through 38, the response is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your near relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, and so there was a promise given from the angel, from God, as to how she could know for certain that this was God's child growing now in her womb. And the answer is, the barren cousin of yours, Elizabeth, in her old age, is going to have a child. Now, I bring that up in setting context because then the next verse for us in verse 39 is, the, is her response to the confirmation promise. What is it? Faith. In verse 39, it says, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country of Judea and greeted and entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Faith. Why did I say the same question which Mary posed, how will I know these things to be true which you have promised from God to me, is the same question that Zechariah asked, how will I know that what you said will come true? Zechariah got judged for the question. Mary didn't get judged. What was the difference? Faith. I see it as faith. How do I know? Because Zechariah doubted. The Bible tells he doubted in his heart whether these things would be true. That's what he was asking. He was questioning God. Mary was simply questioning how God would do what he was going to do. She believed he was going to do it. She just needed to know for sure this is what was going on. Show me, physically give me reason that I can then match and exalt you. I think her purpose was faith. And I think that not only because of the song she sings, I think it because of her actions in verse 39. She was made a promise, and what did she do? She acted on the promise. Her cousin's pregnant. What do you do when your cousin's pregnant? You get up and go visit your cousin. Nobody else had told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant. An angel told her. And an expression of faith was she made haste to the hill country of Judea and entered the house of Zechariah to greet, to celebrate the coming of a child for Elizabeth and Zechariah. She had faith. Mary was a faithful woman. Elizabeth, then, we see in this passage, confirms to Mary the promise is true from God. Look in verses 41 through 45. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary was faithful. Elizabeth confirmed that the promise was true. Notice her ending. Blessed are you, Mary, because you believed what God promised you as the truth. Mary was faithful. She believed. She acted on her faith. She went to find the fulfillment of her promise. And Elizabeth confirmed what was promised of the angel. And, and just as the setting of context here, John the Baptist is in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. A baby in the womb. And yet, in that womb, in the darkness of the knitting room of God, as he is being put together by our Creator, when Jesus came near, he jumped for joy. I mean, the Bible, the Bible is so sweet in facts like this. This is a human before it's born who, through the Spirit of God, knew who his Savior was and leapt for joy. Don't tell me. Please don't try to explain that this is just molecules bumping around in the dark and coming out as a human. Babies are real flesh and blood. They are us in miniature form. And also, I find it very good as a side point to say that God is sovereign in salvation. He does not need my thinking ability to reason that his gospel is true. He saves me of his own free will. How do I know? Because in the womb of his mother, John the Baptist, was filled with the Spirit of God. From his birth, he was filled with the Spirit of God. You mean he didn't get a choice? You You mean he didn't get to decide his fate? How cruel of God to decide his fate. I don't think John found it to be very cruel. I think John found it to be very sweet and comforting that from his mother's womb he would proclaim who the Savior was. He was the forerunner of Christ, promised in the Old Testament, and fulfilling his duty from within his mother's belly. He will make his path straight. He will laud him as the king. I mean... It's beautiful. So I'm not afraid of the passage. I hope this kind of puts it in perspective about what we're dealing with. And now I want to get to the meat of it. Where I think God is going to speak with us today is in this story, this song which Mary breaks forth in. This passage is one of those famous passages that has been sung and read and memorized for centuries. And when you think about the depth of this passage, it's easy to let it overwhelm you. It's easy for it to overwhelm me. I mean, how could a young girl, as I've described her, be so profound? The answer is simple. 
Young ladies. Young men. Old ladies and old men alike. Hear this. It's not about being profound. It's about being filled with the Word of God. Mary is not original in her song. Mary is simply singing the song which her forerunners had sung. The passage here in front of us is not a direct quote, but it is in substance Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The answer is, how can a 15-year-old be profound? Know the Bible. Parents, if you want your children to enter the kingdom of God, they don't need to be smart, score 36 on the ACT, and go to college. All those things are great. I hope they do. Maybe they'll pay for your retirement since it'll all be broke. We'll all be broke in this generation, right? That's all good. I'm not discounting intelligence. I'm simply saying a peasant girl, young and inexperienced, is profound when she takes from the deep well of Scripture planted in her heart the truths which have been preached for centuries and generations and thousands of years. She's profound all of a sudden. I wish our songwriters today would be this profound. I'm thankful some of them are becoming profound. Instead of creating their own songs, so many of our new songwriters are just simply writing God's Word into a tune. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? This song, which we think, how profound, how deep, how magnificent. She's quoting what she knew from the Old Testament. She took as her heroes, I would think, women of the faith. Sarah and Miriam and Deborah and Ruth and Abigail and Esther and Hannah. She knew all the stories and her heart was filled with the Scripture. And when God made Himself known to her, profoundness didn't come out. Intelligence didn't come out. God's Word came out. It overflowed from her heart. When you're in that position where God shows Himself real, what comes out of you tells who you are. If what comes out when you get that promotion is how good a guy and how profound you are, you need a gut check. Where is your heart? But if what comes out is purely the Word of God, it's a good sign. It's a good thing. And so we see this prayer or this song. And I do want to make it as clear as possible. The passage in uh, Hannah prays in 1 Samuel 2 Verses 1 through 11 reads like this. You don't have to turn there. You can, but you don't have to. First Samuel 2, 1 through 11 says, My heart, listen to the similarities. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on a bent, a, excuse me, bind His strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who was, has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills 
and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. What are the parallels? You can write them down. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, she starts out by saying, My heart exalts in the Lord, and I rejoice in my salvation. How does Mary begin her song? My, in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the Lord, my Savior. Not exact quote, but you see the substance. Verse 2 in Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prays, There is none like the Lord. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 49, Mary sings, Holy is His name. Then we see the parallel in 1 Samuel 2, verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. And Mary says in verse 52, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. In verse 5, Hannah says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry I have ceased, I have ceased to hunger. And Mary says in Luke 1, 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. Now, I say this neither to say that Mary is quoting Hannah directly, nor to say that Luke somehow put this together to quote the Old Testament passage, but rather to say that Mary was a young woman that is not profound, she is a young woman that is filled with the Scripture. When her, your heart, when your heart, when my heart is warmed by the goodness of our God, out of our mouths should flow the Word of God in praise and exaltation to Him. Oh, that our children would be so filled with the Word of God. Oh, that our hearts as adults would be so focused on His Scripture. Mary was a godly young woman. And one of the evidences of her godliness is the fact that she did, she hid the Scripture in her heart. A second evidence of that is the faith that she exhibited in visiting Elizabeth. So the context of this song is God has kept His Word. God has fulfilled His promise. God is being faithful, Mary is responding in faith from a heart that is filled with the Word of God, praising her Savior. That's the profoundness of the song. That's it. Three divisions, three main points. You can write them down. They're not profound. They are from the Bible. We should exalt and magnify the Lord with our soul. We should exalt and magnify the Lord with all our soul. 
We see it in verse 46. If Mary is a pattern of faithfulness to God, then we should, like Mary, exalt God from our soul. My soul, she says, magnifies the Lord. God is worthy of our praise. Do you believe that? Man, I'm not saying do you know it. Do you really believe it? That God is worthy of our praise. Secondly, we see God is worthy of praise from our lips. And finally in this, we see that God is worthy of praise that comes from our soul through our lips. Now, let me open it up a little. Be honest with you. This shouldn't be the only place where singing is heard. This place should be filled with the singing which is carried on from your heart every moment of every day. Is your soul filled with the song of praise that then comes through your lips? Or do you come in those doors, put on the church face with your nice clothes on, and sing with your lips? God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of praise from our lips. But more than anything, He's worthy of the praise which starts in the soul and comes through the lips. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds both praise and cursing. Where is your heart? Where is your soul? Because we should magnify the Lord with all of our soul. You magnify, you praise, you exalt, you worship what you are dependent on. What we're seeing is evidence that Mary was dependent on God fully and completely. It comes out of her soul through her lips in a song. And so I'm saying when you're washing the dishes, when you're running out of gas, as Janet knows just recently, when your child has pushed you to the limit and you're frustrated, what comes from your soul? A song of praise or a heap of cursing. I know which one comes from me a lot of times. It doesn't look a lot like Mary. I'm not a woman, so I'm not going to pretend to be. But I... <laughs> thank you, Aaron. <laughs> but I will try to think a little like her. I've been struck as I've studied, as you can tell, it keeps coming out in the sermons by Mary. Not because she's to be venerated and worshipped as a God, as some would say, but because she is so humble, because she is so lowly, because she is so dependent on her Savior. Because i got to tell you, if I was pregnant out of wedlock as a 15-year-old who is poor in her culture, Something would have come out of the lips. 
But I'm not certain it would have been joyful praise. We should magnify and worship the Lord with our soul. That's what we see in the first verse. That, that's the first verse we're on. The second is also building. So she magnifies. But why does she magnify with her soul is the question. What makes her different than the rest of us? Our soul should exalt and magnify the Lord because He has blessed us. That's what she says in verses 47. I mean, excuse me, 48 and 49. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. Here's a young girl in the worst of life's circumstances who says God has done great things for me. The promise has been made. The faith of Mary is being exhibited through worshipful, soulful praise to a Creator who has made her a mother out of time. Because she trusts Him. There's no other reason for her to be singing. Why would she sing? Because she loves Him. Because she trusts Him. Because she knows Him. Because she believes in Him. Because her soul worships Him. That's why she sings. There's no outside external reason for it. God looks on the humble. James 4, 6 through 8 says, But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is Mary. That's where the song comes from because God has been gracious to her. God has been good to her. And our souls should magnify God, worship God because He has been good to us. I mean, think about how pitiful we really are. We're not even naturally of the tribe of Israel. We're all Gentiles. We're cursed. We don't deserve any of the promises of God by natural birth, but then the miracle of all miracles. The truth from Old Testament to New Testament is, it's not by birth or position or rank, but by the grace of God you have been chosen and saved. He's been good to us. We didn't deserve His mercy and His grace. He poured it out on us lavishly, riches, are being poured out into our lives. And how is our soul responding? In worship or in doubt? Mary is responding in worship. God looks on the humble and God has done great things for the lowly and the insignificant. I mean, she's not saying anything in verse 49 that Paul doesn't say in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Right? He doesn't look on the proud. He doesn't look on the rich. He doesn't look on the intelligent. He saves those who are least weak and poor. Dumb in accordance with the world. That's who He saves. And then we spend, after He saves us, unfortunately, most of us spend the rest of our lives proving how smart we are and how rich we can be. And he says, I saved you, not because I thought you had great potential, 
because you had no potential. I loved you as my enemy. I've taken you in and given you grace, not so that you can become some great man, but so that I might be exalted and praised and worshipped. So what is your soul doing this morning? Are you where Mary was? Our souls should be worshipping and magnifying God. From our heart and our soul should flow praise to the King through our lips. And we should do it because He's blessed us. And finally, the song goes up another level. It starts out down here with the statement, a simple statement, My soul magnifies the Lord because He's done great things for me. Finally, our soul exalts the Lord because He has blessed us out of the goodness of His own character. She gets to the foundation. We could invert the points. God's character means He blesses His people. He blesses His people, which includes me. My soul will magnify the Lord. I just took them in reverse order, or the order they're given to us. But do you see, the foundation is the third verse. God's character is the reason for our praise. It's the reason for Mary's praise. God is holy, she says. In verse 49, the second part, holy is His name, His character, His being. He is not like us, Hannah said. There is no one like Him, she proclaims in her prayer. God is holy. His character is holy. It's who He is. Yet God shows mercy. That's also His character. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. He has shown strength with His arm. He has shown mercy from His strong arm. I mean, the strong arm of God could come against us like it did the Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Philistines. Destroy us. These are all credited as being destroyed by the hand of God. And yet, Mary says, the arm, the strong, the powerful arm of God shows mercy to me. Not because I'm good, but because He is holy. Do you see it? Have you got it? You want to talk about what Christmas is? Christmas is coming to the realization that God could have crushed, punished, cut us off eternally, and yet in His strong and powerful arm, He displayed mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because of His character, not because of His people. Because of he, he has done this, He has done it to His people, and we are included by His grace. So therefore, our souls should praise Him. God is holy. God shows mercy. God humbles the proud and exalts the weak. In this kind of setting, there are those of you who are still living in proud resistance to God. I don't say that braggingly or hatefully. I say that earnestly saying, we've all been where you are. We are not better than you. There are no steps that you must take to fulfill the promise of God. He has promised and fulfilled in His Son, Jesus Christ. And He will humble you so that you might draw near Him. 
Because He is merciful. Because He is good. Because He is holy. He is not like us. If I was God for a day, a lot of people would be in trouble. Oh, I'd have a strong arm. But my enemies would pay a dear price. He's holy. He's not like us. Having a strong arm, He has displayed mercy. So when you resist Him and when you kick and when you push against the gospel, the good news, know He is long-suffering. He is patiently enduring your rebellion to draw you to Himself. But be careful. Because there's a day coming when He will, with that same strong arm which extended mercy, punish the rebels. Don't take His long-suffering patience to be slackness and to be Santa Claus-like, grandfather-like. There comes a time in your life or in the life of this world where He will Stretch his arm out, not in mercy, but in judgment. You don't have to taste that. You can know his mercy. That's what Christmas is all about. You can know his mercy. And then your soul, like Mary's soul, will magnify your Savior. God has fulfilled his promises to Israel in Jesus Christ. I don't want to end without saying it. Verse 54 and 5 are powerful verses. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Some are still waiting for him to fulfill his promises to Israel. And Mary is saying he has fulfilled his promises to his servant Israel. He has remembered Abraham and his offspring forever. Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. Christ is the inheritor of all of the promises of God in the Old Covenant. Mary sees it. And she says, because of who God is and what he is doing for his people Israel, which includes me, I will praise and worship Him from my soul. Let's pray. Father, some of us,